0: Welcome to Clean Break. My name is Tina Murray. I am the co-host and sitting with me is
1: Darren Javag and I am the co-host of Clean Break as well. And on today's episode, we are going to have who?
0: We have Tom Inslee coming in. He is a mortgage agent with Capital Mortgages. His office is in Canada. Tom is a graduate of Ryerson University School of Journalism, so he's got a diverse background. He uh, switched from journalism into the financial services industry in '96, and actually was a certified financial planner in 20, uh, 2005, uh, but he switched courses I guess a little bit later after that. In 2010, he got his mortgage agent's license. Um, So that's uh, some interesting information about him. So he also lives in North Gore with his wife and two daughters and is a really active member of the community. He's involved with a bunch of different organizations including the Canadian Cancer Society, Chio, the Heart and Stroke Foundation, and that's just to name a few. So great. he's uh, obviously a very active member. Yeah, uh, on today's episode, he is going to um, talk to us about a few key points, uh, what you need to know about getting a mortgage, especially when you're going through divorce. Uh, he's also going to dispel some rumors about mortgage agents versus banks and, and why people should use mortgage agents. And then, you know, there's lots of great information talking about appraisals and, you uh, um, so, yeah, so we're going to hear lots of good information today from Tom.
1: Great. Look forward to it.
0: Uh, welcome to Clean Break. Our guest today is Tom Inslee, mortgage agent with Capital Mortgages. Welcome, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Well, let's see. I was born. No. <laughs>
0: well, thank that, goodness for that. Get that out of the way.
2: I actually I started my professional career in radio. Um, we have that in common. yes. And uh, I was a uh, radio journalist uh, in Niagara Falls for a number of years. Um, I transitioned from that into financial services, uh, started out with what at the time was called London Life, which tells you how long ago that was. It's Freedom 55 financial services now. And they, uh, I've spent uh, a number of years in that career, um, Earned my Certified Financial Planner designation in 2005 and uh, in 2010 I transitioned into the mortgage industry and uh, have been doing that for seven and a half years now.
0: When did you move to this area to Eastern Ontario?
2: I moved to Eastern Ontario in 2004. Okay. Uh, So I grew up uh, in the Niagara region Basically, I've, I've always, it, Little Town, nobody's ever heard of, but it's uh, your last chance to get off the highway before you end up in Buffalo.
0: Okay. So so, so you're now a mortgage agent. Yes. And uh, you work for a company called Capital Mortgages. And so tell me a little bit about um, what a mortgage agent is. What What is it that you do?
2: In simplest terms, a, a mortgage agent is a professional mortgage shopper. Okay. So rather than uh, an individual trying to go out and find the best rate uh, and the best terms by contacting all the different lenders uh, themselves, um, and the time that that takes, the cost that 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 is involved in that, because your your time is worth money, and also the impact that that can have on your credit score, because right. of course when every if every lender is is pulling their own credit report on you, it's going to have a, a negative impact on your on your overall score uh, before too too long. So basically, I take one application, I then uh, take one application, one credit report, and I then use that information to shop this particular uh, scenario, this particular circumstance to all of the available lenders, many of which are actually not available as walk in sources uh, to to the general public. There are many of the lenders that, that we deal with. A person cannot simply go onto their website and say, Hi, I've heard that you have great mortgage rates. I'd like to get my mortgage from you. You have to go through a mortgage agent uh, in order to access most of the mortgage lenders in Canada.
0: So there, there's a huge myth, I think, um, in society today that I would love to dispel as a mortgage agent myself. <laughs> but a lot of people think that um, you only need a mortgage agent if you can't get a mortgage with a bank. Or you only need a mortgage uh, agent if you have bad credit. Mm-hmm. So can you dispel that myth a little bit for us?
2: Absolutely, yes. I. There, There, there is this... Uh, you know the the expression I've heard is that the mortgage broker is is the uh, the, the lender of last resort. Right. And uh, that nothing could be further from the truth. The simple fact is is that, um, in my in my experience at least, most of the time the best rates that I get for my five star AAA clients, that I get them a better rate with the broker only lenders that I have access to. Than uh, than I would with the, the the big five or the big six banks, um, so even if someone has an eight hundred credit score and a six figure income, I can still save. The, they can still save money by dealing with a mortgage broker a mortgage agent versus. Walking into their local bank branch and just saying, I need a mortgage.
0: So let's yeah. just, sorry.
1: I, I was <laughs> going to actually comment on that because, like, um, a personal experience, of my own, is that <clears throat> so I, I deal with a large bank and I go in and I get a mortgage. Mm-hmm. And, and this is years ago uh, that this happened to me but I went in and I got their rate and then I contacted a mortgage broker I didn't know anything about the, the industry right I just thought you go to a bank for a mortgage right so I went to the bank for the mortgage and I thought well a friend of mine said you know you should talk to a broker to see uh, if you can get a better rate because they can shop around for you because I had no idea what I was doing so I asked uh, I looked around and what did I do I looked online and found the first one that was in my area called them they actually uh, she, the lady that I dealt with she actually got me a better Rate yeah. through the same institution yeah. and the same rate that the my local branch gave me, and then so it, it, like after she set it up, I went back to my branch. And I said, "Why don't why didn't you guys give me this rate? Why did I have to go outside the branch to get it?" So that's a good question. I'm curious about that myself, but she really didn't have, she had a bit of an answer, but her answer was mainly that the brokers could shop it around or something, or there's a a different deal or something like they have with brokers, or I don't know, can you maybe enlighten me on that one?
2: Well, it's kind of like, and I think most of us have had this experience at least once in our life, when um, let's step outside of the the lending industry for a moment and let's talk about things like cell phones. Mm. You know that we we know there's there's four or five major cell phone providers in Canada, and at one point I was uh, I had my cell phone service with with Rogers, and then I was approached by a sales representative from Bell, and they said, "Oh, we can give you this service for twenty dollars a month less than what you're paying." Hmm. Then I turned around and said, "Okay." Um, I went to c- cancel my Rogers account, they said why, and they said because I'm getting the same service from Bell for for $20 a month less, and they're like, oh, well, we'll give it to you for $25 a month less. <laughs> they could have done that from the beginning, but right. they didn't. They sold it to you for what they thought you were willing to, to pay. pay. Right. Yes. And it's the same thing, and it's, that's not just unique to the cell phone industry, it's not unique to the mortgage industry, it's capitalism. Right. You, you charge people what you think they will pay, and yeah. if they don't know any better, they'll pay it. Yeah. So,
0: right.
1: that, that, so that's a, uh, that's a great uh, term actually. I hear that all the time. You don't know what you don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. So,
0: so I, I, I want to just touch on the rates because I, mm-hmm. I guess, and and, I, and we were going to get to divorcing and how, how we can help divorcing clients. But let's just talk a little bit about rates. Because you know, we hear, and, and you've talked about it a bit, and Darren's talked about it a bit about rates and how we can give better rates. But rates are really not everything. And I think both right. you and I um, have the ability to t- teach our clients about that. Rates are very important, don't get me wrong but sometimes rates aren't everything can you talk a little bit about that absolutely
2: the fact of the matter is is that um they they're not everything and i even tell my clients uh, very often that, that they're not that important really in 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 a, in a in a competitive sense i mean if if lender a has has a rate of of 3.29 and lender B has a rate of 2.34. It's like on a quarter million dollar mortgage that we're 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 talking about five, six, seven dollars weekly, I think you know. It's yeah, not, I don't even
0: think it's that much. It's depending, money, yeah, it depending yeah, on the, size of, of depending the, on the, the yeah. size of the mortgage. Depending on the
2: amortization, the size of the mortgage. You're talking about okay, so so once every two weeks you can go through the drive-through at Starbucks instead of Timmy's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what you're saving, and if you're, if you're if you're that desperate to save that kind of money, maybe we need to be looking at a smaller house for you then, because you're, <laughs> right. if you're that on the bubble right. financially, right. because
0: there's other things That's involved like. Um, Penalties if you were to break the mortgage. Exactly. So some lenders charge much greater penalties, okay. and and um, it's just the way they calculate it, mm-hmm. and have the ability to do that. And so I think that those those are things that that we as mortgage brokers or mortgage agents can definitely um, educate our clients on. Exactly. And and I think like we talked about just a second ago, you don't know what you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. So it's our job to, and your job to educate clients on on what it is the benefits of a broker or an agent. Mm-hmm. Um, and those those titles are pretty interchangeable, although Fisco tells us we're not allowed to use those words. But um, okay, so let's sort of just change it a little bit and let's talk a little bit about divorcing. Um, I know you and I and everybody in this room um, talks about, you know, we are involved with DivorceNet and um, our, our clients are very important to us. And, and uh, I think that as uh, as somebody in this industry that um, it's more than just the business. It's about how do we help our people go through um, a really challenging time in their lives, and so um when we are talking about divorcing clients from a mortgage perspective, can you give us sort of maybe sort of three, two or three things or maybe you have more, but a couple of things anyway of um how you as a mortgage agent, how you as a mortgage professional can and guide them through processes that they need to do in order to get through it um from a mortgage perspective
2: right yeah they there's really um, there's really four things that we need to uh, make sure that we have in place um, when you're when we're going to re- when we're going to do a mortgage, and in this situ- in this situation, what we're assuming is that there's a matrimonial home involved, and one partner is uh, is is trying to keep it, uh, and the and then the and the other partner is is leaving and starting a new household elsewhere under whatever circumstances, and there basically there's 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 four things that we need to have in place before we can you know entertain discussions about rates or terms or penalties or anything um, the first thing we we need is a, a written uh, and executed separation agreement it has to be in place signed by both parties uh, it can't be the first draft it can't be this is what i'm asking for i've had a number of cases even just you know, one that I'm work, working on right now, where what the person sent me was was the draft that they had come up with with their lawyer that mm-hmm. they were presenting to the departing spouse, right. and said, "Here's here here here's here's the separation agreement." Well, it's only signed by the person I'm dealing with. The other side hasn't signed it. The other side side has not accepted these terms at all. And in fact, what ended up happening was. Remarkably different from what I was... Yeah, they want everything. Right. They, exactly. They want it this, right. is what, this is what I've been told to ask for by my lawyer. And uh, that's not helpful at all. We need the final signed separation agreement. There's two reasons that we need that. Number one is it will break down what the division of assets is going to be. Uh, nine times out of ten, you're taking the, the equity in the house, which is the percentage of the house that you've paid for, uh, as opposed to what's still owing on the mortgage. You're taking that and you're splitting it down the middle 50-50 so if there's the house is worth $350,000 you owe 250 on it you're gonna take the hundred thousand dollars of equity you and you have to give the departing spouse $50,000 that's like I say nine times out of ten that's that's how it's going to be broken down but sometimes not like sometimes there's a vehicle for example that's in both people's names and obviously you're not gonna share you're not gonna share the escalade.
1: Right.
2: One's gonna take it, and so then there will be a um, an adjustment, if you will, an equalization in the division of the matrimonial home to account for the fact that yeah, he got the Cadillac as well. Right. So or she, depending on yeah. how it broke down. Yeah. Um so that's one thing is it will it will spell out, you know, in legal terms, this is this is what you have to come up with if you're going to keep this property. You have to. This is what you have to pay the departing spouse in order to keep it. The, the second thing that is laid out in the separation agreement is if is whether there are any ongoing financial responsibilities by either party, whether there is spousal support or whether that's been waived. If ch- if minor children are involved, there is um, there are responsi- financial responsibilities from both parents. Uh, regarding the minor children, that cannot be waived. Those have those are uh, are absolute in mm-hmm. uh, in in the in family law. And if you are the the partner that is paying these, uh, we have to uh, account for that mm-hmm. in determining the affordability of the right. mortgage. Mm-hmm. If you're the if you're the partner that is receiving uh, spousal support and or child support. With certain lenders, we can use that to increase the uh, affordability on your part in terms of how much mortgage the spouse that is keeping the house can, can afford. Um, and again, that's all laid out in the separation agreement. That's why we need it completed and signed up front.
0: So so let me just talk a little bit about um, loan-to-values because you kind of alluded to it and, and I just did a bit of quick math on my calculator here. So if we're looking at a, um, um, a property value of $350,000 and uh, there's a $250,000 existing mortgage on it mm-hmm. and so therefore you have to pay um, your parting spouse fifty k, mm-hmm. right? So in that example, um, that actually takes it over the 80% loan-to-value. So um, people who are doing refinances, so they're refund Financing their existing property to take equity out of it can only go to eighty percent. So how do you how do you overcome that if someone is wanting to buy uh, or buy out their spouse, but the value of um, what they need to pay out is greater than that eighty percent?
2: That's a good question, and and you kind of hit, hit it there in, in, in your question. You are buying out the spouse, and you're not refi- This is actually you're not refinancing the home. To come up with the equity to purchase to to, to buy out the uh, the departing partner. When you own a home uh, as uh, as uh, partners, as husband and wife, husband and husband, wife and wife, you are um you you own the home together. So the house is owned by John and Jane Smith. Now, if John and Jane Smith get divorced, John goes and gets an apartment somewhere, and Jane is going to keep the house. Jane is buying the house from John and Jane Smith so it's not a refinance transaction it's a purchase transaction mm. so in a purchase transaction you can borrow up to 95% of the value of the house which is essentially what you, bo- you the most you could have borrowed when John and Jane bought it together right so basically you can you can borrow right back up to what was necessary provided that you can uh, that Jane can. I'm going to stick with Jane in the, in our hypothetical example here, provided that Jane can afford the payments on that on that, that right. new mortgage, you know herself. So, which brings me to the second of the four things that I said that we need. We need we need <laughs> Great. a purchase agreement <laughs> because Jane is buying the house from herself and John, right. so joint jointly and severally to use the uh, the the legal jargon on the on the on the title to the house. So. Because of that, we need a, uh, a signed purchase agreement between the two parties, so that, hmm. that you know, so that that establishes that sets this is the price at which we are purchasing this house. So, um, the third thing we need is an appraisal on the property to make sure that the, the purchase price that John and Jane have agreed upon through, you know, between themselves and their lawyers is actually accurate hmm. uh, because lenders, um, you know, obviously don't want to give somebody $400,000 to purchase a $350,000 property. If they end up having to take the property back, they have to make sure that if they put it on the market, they're going to be able to pay off that mortgage Mm -hmm. for you. And if the two partners have inflated the price, not necessarily, you know, by any deliberate collusion or anything like that, but simply because we all have uh, a rather... High opinion, probably, of the house that we live in. Our house is hmm. obviously yes. the our house is always the nicest house on the block, right? It's always worth <laughs> worth the most. That's right, and so um, that's the third thing that we we need to to have. Now, that is not something that um, someone has to have when they come in to speak to uh, uh, myself or another divorce net professional. They, you know, I take I take care of ordering that for them once we know. Which uh, lender we're going to be dealing with, because uh, each lender has their own requirements, and so for the uh, the person on the street to call up an appraiser and say, "I'm getting divorced. I need an appraisal on the house for, uh, so that I know what mortgage I can get," it's better to let your mortgage professional handle that particular aspect. But it is one thing that we tell people we're, we're going to have to do this sooner than rather than later. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a you know, there's a cost involved in doing that, but uh, but we, again, we'll hold off on that until we know. So we have everything else in place, and we know where where we're going with the deal.
1: So I have a quick question on that. I know you're going to go through to the fourth point, but I yes. uh, So do you ever have any problems finding people to do the appraisals on the properties, like the 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 property appraisers? I guess no. no. Uh, I heard a rumor one time from uh, somebody that I knew that was in the industry as far as appraising the properties is that that mortgage uh, that uh, real estate appraisers uh, don't like to get involved in divorcing cases because. They'll walk in, they'll appraise the property, here's what it's worth according to you know the environment and everything else or what what's around the block, what the taxes are, they'll do that. But then later on they'll get dragged into court. Right? With like the, where the lawyers are going back and forth saying, okay, now we need that expert witness to come back. So, so I don't know.
0: I, can I speak to that for a second, Tom? Of course, yeah. Um So, one of the things, the difference between what we, when we are ordering an appraisal and when you, what you're speaking to there is that when we're over- ordering it, we are actually physically ordering it for the lender. Right. That's okay. that it's for lending purposes only. It is nothing to do with, um, court. with court or, right. or uh, equalization and settling and okay. costs. Okay. So, what will That's happen, and I've seen it, and I'm sure you have mm-hmm. seen it. As well is where uh, divorcing um, divorcing couples will actually actually both independently get yeah, appraisals done, it. and those appraisals are could actually be very different than <laughs> that same appraiser going back in and appraising it for a lender. Yeah. So you could have two appraisers go into one property mm-hmm. and appraise it for. Uh, the, each of the spouses, each mm. of the partners, and then one of those same go in to appraise it for a lender specifically. Right. And it could come out different. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. That, that's why I was asking because I know, um, uh, from what I've heard in past yeah. situations, um, there's been uh, appraisers who will actually increase their price substantially yeah. with the, with the uh, like if they're being hired by a lawyer to appraise mm-hmm. the property, right. they'll increase their price substantially because they know in the back of their mind they're going to probably have to go to court and justify it, mm-hmm. right? So I mean I, I, we're kind of like digressing here but yeah, that comes up a lot for a lot of people. They want to know because it's the most valuable asset they have Right. is right? their home. Yeah. So, you know that's probably a, a real bone of contention mm-hmm. when one person's Keeping it, and the other mm-hmm. person is leaving. So the one that's there wants to get as little as possible, and the one who's leaving wants it to be appraised as high as possible, right? Right. So.
0: I, I think that's like a great topic for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be real, estate. That'll be real estate. Okay, so get to number four, and then if you haven't touched on it by the time you get to number uh, by the time you're done, I have a, another question for you.
2: Okay. Well, then the, four, the fourth thing that we have to be able to establish is is the income of the spouse that's keeping the property. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need proof that, that uh, proof of employment and proof of uh, of income from that employment, and that can take different forms depending on the nature of the employment. Whether you're self-employed, whether you're paid, uh, uh, you're working in a, an environment where you're paid hourly, or if you're on an a- annual salary, if you're on commission, that's another completely different way of uh, uh, of set of variables that we have to account for. And but the bottom line is is that the um, the Superintendent of Financial Institutions in Canada sets limits to how much, what percentage of your of your gross income, uh, your gross income if you're hourly or salaried, your net income if you're um, self-employed. What per- percentage can go to? Covering shelter costs, which is your principal and interest on your mortgage, your property taxes, and also a, a notional amount for heat, okay. um, because Canada.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that's called de- uh, debt servicing, correct? That's Debt mm-hmm. servicing is, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. is the a lot of people correct. hear the debt uh, the total debt service and uh, gross, uh, gross debt. debt service. So that's, I know a lot of people are confused about that. So. Yes,
2: right. yes. Gro- gross debt service is how much it costs you to cover the the um, the cost of keeping the home itself, which as I said, said is principal, interest, taxes, and heat. Then your total debt service is all of that plus all of the other debts that you owe, whether that's credit cards, car loans, if you have a line of credit. Um, child support. Child support and spousal support uh, fall under that as well. Uh, any other court orders that you might be under. Um, it does not uh, include things like your cell phone bill, um, things like that. Car That's insurance, car insurance. Those types of things. Yeah, there's a different. There's a difference between debts and bills. Bills don't, you know, aren't, aren't factored into that. So. Those are, are hard stops, if you will. Though They're they're not something that we have um, a lot of flexibility on. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: what are um, those students? ratios? And, and I mean, it depends a little bit on credit. It, and it depends, depends on, a little bit on, on a couple of things. But exactly. let's just say, um, generally with, speaking.
2: Generally speaking, with average credit, you're looking at 35% of your gross income can go towards your... Covering your shelter costs and forty-two percent of your gross income towards shelter cost and all your other debts. Mm-hmm. So um, now those can be moved a little bit higher if you have exceptional credit. Right.
0: If, uh, if you're, you know, kind of that A client sort exactly, of thing. Yeah. Okay.
2: If your credit is just to, to use a, a, to round the numbers off, if you're looking at about seven hundred credit score or higher, then you can go to thirty-nine and forty-four percent. Right. But, uh, but still, even that forty-four percent is not. You know, well, actually, after the after uh, CRA takes their cut, that's most of your income. Of what's left is going towards this. Mm -hmm. So, the, you know, that's that that's the fourth pillar, if you will, of what we need to be able to establish. We need to be able to establish the spouse that's keeping the house can afford uh, the payment, and uh, on the because we're going to have to refinance the existing mortgage because the existing mortgage is under both spouses and we have to now put it under one person and... You basically have to reopen the mortgage to take somebody off of it.
0: So I have a question. Um, I, actually, I have a, a ton of questions and I, I don't know how much time they're going to actually let us go talk. But anyway, uh, so I, I want to talk about debts because that's not really, was, wasn't was my next question, but since you're talking about it. Okay. So uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith are married and, you know, let's use the example of $350,000 home again, $250,000 on their existing mortgage. They have to break that mortgage. So conceivably, if we're not placing the mortgage in the same lender, there's going to be a Potentially a penalty. So we've got to account for that, right? Um, and now let's say Mr. and Mrs. Smith have, you know, an, an additional $40,000 of joint debt. Okay. Um, and and um, Mr. Smith has agreed to take over that joint debt or to pay out with the sale, so to speak, of um, the mortgage or the property that additional $40,000. Can that can that be put into the mortgage? Can, can you know I, I got a credit card, you know, Mr. Smith has a credit card, Mrs. Smith has a credit card, it's in my name, but in the it's in the separation agreement that uh, all of the joint debt or all of the debt will be paid out. Can that be included in the mortgage? It it, it
2: can't be something that oh yeah, I'm going to do this on my own. Like, no, it, it, has it has to, to be, be
0: in the separation agreement. If if it is, then
2: it can be capitalized
0: into the market. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, All right. And so...
1: That's a good question. uh, I know, because I think one of the challenges for many divorcing couples is finding the equity, the liquidity mm -hmm, to to resolve mm -hmm, the the equalization, right? Yeah. Because I'll see that as a planner all the time where, you know, they'll have a lira mm -hmm. or a locked in account and they say, why can't I take that money out? Right, like, why can't I liquidate some of that to pay for some other things? Right, and I'm like, because it's locked in. Yeah, and then they say, well, yeah, but you're transferring half it over to him or her on the other side of the ledger to equalize the assets. And I'm like, yes, but it's moving out, but they can't use it. Mm-hmm. You know, so these are really yeah. good questions because yeah. people. I think struggle with liquidity and trying to make things work
0: right Right. and I mean sometimes things just don't work right we have to we have to figure it out and sometimes it's 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 and I think that's the difference and the great thing about a mortgage agent versus and again not not bank bashing but the difference between a mortgage agent and a, a, a bank person is that this is what we do right this is all we do is mortgages and so our brains have been trained to think outside of the box and so how can we Creatively, and that's one of the things I love about the job is I love the creativity of of it. And 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 I know a lot of people go, it's a mortgage. How boring can that be? But it's very creative, Mm -hmm. and I'm excited by mortgages. (laughs) If you didn't know that already, so. There's no better way
1: to kill a conversation. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Actually,
1: I was sitting at I was sitting at the bar the other night, actually, with some some friends, and somebody brought up a conversation or a topic about financial planning. Right, they were talking about investments, actually. And we were talking about investments for probably a good 15 minutes. And somebody leaned over and said, why don't we just talk about selling Bibles next? <laughs> 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 but I mean, that's, that's the thing yeah. about it. as professionals. Yeah. We, that's what we get we're passionate about we're it, passionate what we're doing. It. Right? Yeah. So, yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. So, um, so we talked about child support. So yes. let's just address that just a little bit. Um, I am, uh, you, you know, Mr. Smith has to pay Mrs. Smith x amount of money doesn't really matter how much at this point in time mr smith is uh keeping the house Mm -hmm. and so let's just use because we've been using numbers a thousand dollars how does that play into the actual physical application and can you make changes to that like is there other ways around it so he it's a debt he has to pay a thousand dollars a month until these kids are 18 and they're seven and five Mm -hmm. What, what what do you do
2: that it has to it like you said it has to be recorded as as a debt obligation um there's there's no way around child support i know that i I have seen you know separation agreements where the spouses are like you know what i don't want any money from him i don't need any money from her for myself and you can waive that you cannot waive Mm -hmm. a child support obligation right um neither partner can can do that so it has it has to be accounted for in the
0: it, it, it's in in among, the liabilities section. In the section? liabilities
2: section, it has to it has, it has to fall under that forty two or forty four percent of your of your income.
0: Now, have you? Because because sorry, I'm trying to word my question correctly. Um, so there are times and circumstances where you can actually remove. Can you remove it from the um, income rather than keep it in as a liability? I don't know if you've ever come across any lenders that will do that. I have a couple. Some,
2: some lenders will allow you. Um, to deduct, rather than counting it as a liability, which works against the ratios, they'll allow you to reduce the, if if he makes... $100,000 hundred thousand dollars, and he's paying twelve thousand dollars a year in child support, thousand dollars a month. That you can record his income as eighty-eight thousand instead right. of right. There's a not not all lenders will do that. Again, why you want to come and talk exactly? Because and this
0: yeah. is why rate isn't
2: always the most important thing. It, it, sometimes, and this is the thing is that sometimes it's the least important thing because sometimes you have we have to um, again, and I don't want to be you know. Uh, I don't want anybody to say this is, oh, nuts, This this is what's going to happen to me, and it's a total, you know, be a buzzkill to this whole podcast. But sometimes I've had to go to clients and just say, look, this is the, you know, your rate is going to be, you know, Bank of Canada posted rates. Right. This is how we're going to get it done. Right. Because it's the only way we can get it done.
0: right. Sometimes, yeah. um, and sometimes that's the most important thing you know, to people. Right? Is I want to keep this done. house, or yes, yes. or maybe they're not keeping the house, but they they want to buy a house, and the only way we can qualify them is to deduct it from their income. Mm-hmm. And so by deducting it from their income, we've now narrowed greatly the amount of lenders or choices for lenders that mm-hmm. your, that our clients have. Right? right? And so then we can't always contro- we can't control the rate. We can't no. give them you know the best rate because we have to go to maybe this this lender it's
2: it's like you know exactly when we start off with 35 40 50 lenders Mm -hmm. and then we start saying okay we've got what exceptions yes we need an exception for this an exception for that and also this there's this unique situation right now maybe we've gone from 50 lenders down to six
0: Right. And that's interesting.
2: Like, and it's like, I mean, that's, of course, simplifies our job. Absolutely. Uh-huh. You know, we're not wading through 50 different product manuals. Now we're wading through six product manuals. But, you know, are these lenders, all, you know, going to be the ones with the absolute rock bottom, no frills rates? No, they're not. They're going to, you know, because this is a higher risk, this is becoming a higher risk deal. Right. And they're making
0: like, exceptions. They're making exceptions yes. for you.
2: And it's just like with your car insurance. um if you are, if if your recent motoring behavior has uh, established to the insurance company that you are a higher risk driver, you've you've been pulled over for speeding three times, run two stop signs, and had an accident, you're going to pay more for your car insurance because you you because you're a riskier proposition for that for that company. It's the yeah. same thing with mortgages. If you are, if you are adding elements to the um, to the purchase to the deal. Whether it's because of your credit behavior, whether it's because of we need to make exceptions for where your money is coming in from, um, or whatever, the, whatever the unique circumstances are, as we add risk to the deal from from the le- lender's perspective. Now, you may be sitting there thinking to yourself, i I always pay my bills. I'm a good person. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not a risky person to loan money to. You know that." I I in the course of getting to know you as as your mortgage agent, I've been having this uh, you know I've had a series of meetings with you. I've had these conversations. I've gotten to know you, and I can. It's all well and good for me to call up the lender and say, yeah, I've I I have a really good feeling about this person. They're a nice person. They they always pay their bills. They're honest. They're this. They're that. The lender's going to go by what they see on paper. Mm-hmm. They're just—they're 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 just the underwriter. They're just—they're just, yeah. just working through a checklist, mm-hmm. checking off boxes. Is this—is this here? Yes. Is this here? No, it's not. And that's—that's um, that's what it comes down to. My, you know, wh- whether you're a a good person, an honest person, a trustworthy person doesn't. Uh, enter into it as much as we would like um, right. there have been so many times that I've, I, I've I've gone to people and said look if I had the two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in my bank account I would I, lend I, I would give it to you <laughs> yeah I agree I yeah. have that feeling Absolutely. I, know, I know that yeah. I can give this to you and give it back but yeah. it's not my two hundred and fifty thousand dollars it's the lenders and they don't have the personal connection yeah. that I have with you and I can't you know I can't make them see you the way I see you right
1: so did you go through the four things because you said four did, things. yeah you did? The four so, things. so I got a quick question so I, I know this comes into into people's minds sometimes is that they wonder how like do they have to write a check to you as a mortgage broker for mm-hmm. doing all this for them? because I mean you're doing a lot of work here right mm-hmm. and I think a lot of times when you're dealing with a large institution and a, a kind of a faceless individual who you don't know very well you know, you walk in there and they just say yes or no. They mm-hmm. say, well, this isn't, you know, they just say no. And and it's like, well, good luck, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? So uh, obviously we've established just from this conversation that there's a huge amount of value of people, regardless of whether they're divorcing or not, working with a mortgage broker, right? Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people will think, uh, you know, so all this value, what does it cost me? Like how, like there's gotta be a cost to me as, an, as, an, as, as a person getting this mortgage. Uh, that's over and above, you know, what I get at a bank because nobody does this stuff for free, right? right. So, do do people have to write you a, a check? No, no. Okay.
2: Very, very. Uh, the, it, nine, literally ninety eight percent of the time, there's no fees involved in using a mortgage agent or a mortgage broker. Um, we are paid uh, a finder's fee by the by the various lenders. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as as. Their way of of uh, compensating us for bringing them business. Um, they there are very rare situations where um, if it, if it's a complicated deal and we have to use like a private lender or an equity lender. Um, and you know, I don't want to get into too many you know inside hockey terms or anything like that. But uh, in in very exceptional cases, there are some lenders that do not pay. Uh, do not pay us uh, for doing that. In those circumstances, we have to charge uh, a broker what's called a broker fee, right. uh, which is <clears throat> deducted from the proceeds of the mortgage. So again, they still aren't writing a check; they're they're financing it through the mortgage. Right. Um, those are very exceptional cases, and I, I've been doing this for seven and a half years, and I've maybe had to do that a half a dozen times. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is again, it comes back to if if i am doing that it's it's uh, it's not for mercenary reasons it's because this is the only way that we can get this done right mm-hmm. right you know,
1: and you got to get paid it's, it's, right yeah, i mean to
2: make something. you're a great guy but right. you know like you got to pay the I bills not a mercenary <laughs> but i do need to make something. <laughs> I, have, I have my own mortgage to pay right and so uh, yes so that is uh, but literally 98 times out of 100 yes you're going to um, our, our services are free to the consumer because right. uh because the, the lenders are compensating us okay. okay
0: all right so i think we're done uh, i think tom that we could probably talk for hours literally oh, yeah I know and you guys I, are and, like
2: just feeding and, off each other and i don't know <laughs> I, I
0: i have still more questions to right. ask you but i think that we'll have you back for another podcast so, later and, and some uh, of those questions for yourself yeah yeah definitely uh, so you um, know what
1: before we wrap up though yeah. uh, tom can you give us uh, how how would people get a hold of you so if they had to contact you how would they do that
2: they can contact me through my website, which is uh, mm-hmm. um, and They can reach me at uh, Tom at CapitalMortgages.com, or they can call me at uh, 613-558-4872.
1: Great, and, awesome. and also yeah. they can also check you out on DivorceNet.ca uh, yeah. because you have a profile up there. Yeah, awesome.
0: that's great. Thanks, Tom. We really appreciate you coming in today. And thank you very much for having me. Good.